So talking about multiculturalism, that's kind of like a passe word, talking about diversity, yes, it's kind of an in word, but it's kind of a little passe too. But how do we break these kind of even stereotypical language that almost reduces our conversations around um, cross-cultural and multicultural diversity, racial narratives uh, that speak to today. Today, we're gonna be doing this through music and how fortunate and amazing it is for me to come across this hip hop orchestra ensemble, uh, founder Juwan Kim and his partner, Christopher Nicholas, here with me today uh, to talk about the music and how that speaks to uh, dismantling these kind of black and white narratives, if you will. So um, welcome both of you to K2H, first of all. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having us. So basically we're actually co-founders, Chris okay, and I. Okay, sorry, co-founders. So right. uh, I am the artistic director of Ensemble McNeuge and I compose all the music here. And my name is Christopher Nicholas. I am the executive director of Ensemble McNeuge. Yes. I oversee all the back end stuff and uh, PR and all that good stuff. Yeah, but he also produces all our music and then sings background vocal. He does, he and I both do sort of, you know, we bleed into business side and then creative side together. So, okay, so now, let me back up. The reason I stumbled on you amazing, um, the, your amazing music is because I was in San Francisco recently for the CAMFest, which is in uh, the Center for Asian American Media to screen my documentary and you were performing there and we met each other at a filmmaker's brunch and you know I hear these words, right? You guys are talking about mixing um, classical orchestral music with hip hop. And it speaks to my work as well, because I, I address the Afro-Asian tensions of today through my documentary. But um, from your work, let's, let's, can we first have you both introduce a little bit about who you are and what shaped you in a nutshell before we kind of come together to talk about your music? So yeah. if you want to talk about like how, yeah, how you started. So my background. So I, I grew up in Korea until I was 20 years old and then, uh, I specifically moved here to pursue classical music. Uh, in Korea, classical music and pop music is largely considered as new kind of thing. It was very exotic to me. And for some people, it would be hard to understand, but I thought that classical music and pop music was basically similar thing. It's a Western type of thing. And I, I felt that classical music was more rigorous in some sense. I wanted so that's why I was, I was interested in it. And then when I came here, I realized that it was just like old, you know, European music. And I kind of wanted to get out of it because, you know, I, I just couldn't get with the fact that people used to play this kind of music with the wigs on and like with powdered wigs. And so I was like, okay, I totally, I'm, I'm out. And but were you forced to do classical music by any chance by your parents? Like you thought, yeah, you know, piano, did you start with that? Like a lot of Asian parents do where? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it was like that, but then I got into it when I was 10 years old. See, 10 is a very special age for a lot of people, even for certain physicists that, you know, it's like your, your puberty there and you start seeing the world differently. And then mm -hmm. certain, um, you know, in case of uh, famous physicists, a lot of times they have these big questions coming to them and it kind of sticks with them and mm -hmm. they continue that path. Hmm. Similar thing happened when I listened to Beethoven's Symphony Number no. 5, realized that it was very cohesive, <laughs> impressive, but then 
found out that he was deaf writing all this stuff. So I was like, okay, how did he do it? I want to be like that. And I wanted to pursue this. It was like a deep subconscious sort of impact for me. And that came back and I just couldn't shake it. And I decided to pursue it. And I came to the US uh, to do this music. Got it. So, and then when I realized that it was all just really European and then the whole, the 1960s or rather, I mean, even before that, like, you know, second Viennese schools like push to break from the tradition and then create new language, new radical, radical language. I felt that that was totally out of touch with the modern uh, audience, especially now. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, as I'm learning more, it's just about aesthetic, uh, which I don't agree. And I wanted to get out of it. So in protesting that I wrote a piece that had chamber ensemble and a hip hop uh, MC in it. And it created a lot of problem for our teachers. But then we, I also Your got- teachers all like older white male? We, yes, I mean, there was, you know, the older, older lesbian white lady too. Oh. So it's, I think it's it's mainly, it, it's, it's just, I feel like it's more, in, in even thinking about uh, identity politics or the silos of intersectionality, I, I think about generations more so. Like, because if you think about the kids nowadays, like the big problem for them is a trans sort of activism. It's not like, okay, you can't drink at the same fountain anymore. So the, their, their like, you know, uh, line of defense is like way out there. Like, okay, like I wanna be a woman today. I'm gonna be a man. Like there's no more sex anymore because you know, sex, is, sex and gender are different. That's why that's <laughs> the only way to destroy all the, you know, hierarchies to be truly yeah, egalitarian. Yeah. We're, we're dismantling, completely dismantling systems and, and language around structures. Correct. So I think that it's misguided. I, I think it's fundamentally misguided, although I radically support whatever that they want to be, because I believe that ultimately it's a civil rights issue. If somebody wants to be who they want to be, go ahead. But I don't think that just because you are, you know, blurring the line of different sexes will destroy the hierarchy because hierarchy will form in a different way. Yeah. I think it has to do with the, we have to always go back to the basic. I think the basics are, it's about the amount of power. Where does the power come from? It comes yes. from the capital. And when then you have to think about, you know, more of class dynamic. Yes, so. absolutely. This, oh, we have a lot to unpack there. This whole structure that we're trying to sure. kind of like challenge but, and dismantle. But before we go in there, I want to come back to my, you know, uh, upbringing so far and why I'm doing this. So in, in doing that, after doing that event of creating problems for my teachers, but getting a, a full a full page write up, I was surprised because I wasn't expecting that to happen. The write up, the you know, flipping off to my teachers were totally, totally planned, and I, I have succeeded in pissing off a bunch of people. And, uh, but my MC at the time was thinking that this was a great idea and we should make an album. And mind you, I didn't know anything about hip hop. I got into it spent about six months next six months writing about an hour of music and um and then i had to rethink about what i was doing because then and now even i still think of myself as a serious unquote uh quote serious unquote composer and uh and then i really got into hip-hop i decided to actually take time to listen to it because 
I would do the same thing for any 20th century avant-garde music. I don't like it at first, but then I would listen to it over and over again to kind of see why I don't like it or like it. I identify certain elements of it. If I can get used to it, I can move on to the next piece. I gave that kind of respect to hip hop pieces, which were very foreign to me. I didn't like it at, at first, but then eventually I had like a clicking moment and a conversion moment uh, with NWA's After Police. So after that point, I realized that, okay, I think I could sort of make my own music free from the European canon, free from everything, using certain elements of hip hop and classical to actually charge my, I mean, uh, forge my own path. And that's basically how we, uh, how I started and then I recruited them eventually. Okay, but, uh, okay. So that's yeah. just a small nutshell of your background, which I think we could always have, if we have time to elaborate later uh, to continue, but let's move on um, to, Christopher, you, you are as, as a partner in this really interesting combination of classical orchestral music with hip hop that Juan's talking about. Um, tell us a little bit about your background, how you kind of came about, what your relationship with music is and how your music blends and, and, and your thoughts on kind of Juan's crazy idea. Sure, so, um, uh, so I was uh, born in Brooklyn, New York. I grew up in Suffolk County. Um, uh, in uh, Miller Place, very small town um, in Long Island. Um, so I grew up in an all-white area, um, and I uh, was heavily involved in a lot of musicals and um, the vocal jazz department there. Um, I won a bunch of competitions when I was in high school. Um, I was in the this, this tri-state jazz competition uh, in high school. We performed at Carnegie Hall and uh, Manhattan School of Music. Um, I uh, transferred into Berkeley College of Music in Boston. That's where Juwan and I met. Um, and then upon finishing my undergraduate, I got a scholarship to do my master's at North Texas University for jazz studies for voice. Um, so I, so essentially my music background is musical theater, um, vocal jazz and uh, pop music and classical music. Um, so as I was finishing my master's, um, Juwan was starting EMN and do, doing, doing shows and so on and so forth. And he felt as though he wasn't having the, 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 the breakthrough that he thought was going to happen. Um, so he had asked me to come out and help him with that. So, so after I graduated, I came to California about uh, 12 years ago and we started doing more programming consistently so that like every month or so we would have a performance um so myself and my family we um we financed the first uh five five years um of of the ensemble to make sure that we were doing things consistently um and in doing so we found out a lot about how people digest this type of music because essentially what they're seeing on, they're not even actually hearing the music first, um, which, which I had to explain to Juwan because, <laughs> because uh, uh, certain things are a little foreign to him because he wasn't born here. So mm. essentially there, no one was hearing the music first. What they were doing is they were seeing the music. They were seeing uh, a, a black dude 
that was our a, a black dude or, or a couple of black dudes or black female because uh, we've had no, numerous MCs. Um, uh, so so usually the MC was a person of color, and then Asian and white instrumentalists behind them. <laughs> so that's what they were hearing slash seeing. They weren't like actually hearing anything else. Yeah. And then after hearing slash seeing that for a couple of years, then people were starting to actually listen to the sound of the music. And in finally getting that breaking point after about like three years or so, um, we got a major write-up in one of the local papers uh, called East Bay Express. Um, and then from there, we started really developing a relationship with um, the PR and understanding what, how people just kind of uh, digest all of this. Um, and then as, you know, as we consistently kept doing things, um, we slowly got into the performing arts market, uh, <laughs> which is his own other animal, um, because then you're dealing with older organizations mm. that have a set way of, of, um, of programming and have, a, and have a set audience that they don't ever, they rarely want to rock the boat of that audience because that's their cash cow. Um, so then when we get there, we have to, we have to go through a full explanation of like, you know, 10 plus years of doing this, how this can work, why it works and why, you know, um, so, uh, so yeah, so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's been a little bit of a, of, of a journey. Um, but, um, every year I feel as though we learn something new and then we we're con continuously leveling up. Um, as, as we kind of go forward. Yeah, because, you know, you guys are breaking boundaries, you're, you're challenging structures, existing structures, and you're combining two kind of different forms, if you will, two different ways of voicing yourself and, and blending it together. And so, you know, to, to say that, you know, orchestra hit meets hip hop is a fascinating idea, but realistically, how does that work? And how does that, um, how does your process kind of, um, inform you of where you need to go with it or how you uh, apply these kind of social movements that are affecting your music and still trying to dismantle these kind of old ways of seeing how um, music is organized out there. Um, let's take one quick break. If you guys are all, anybody just tuning in, um, I am talking to uh, Juwan and Christopher here from the uh, group, Mick Nawuj, is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Blending orchestra, classical music with hip hop. It just makes your head kind of think about what that means. And in the break, we will be playing your music. But let's take a quick break. And I want to come back and we talk about your process and, and the themes you want to address through your music and how um, music like this, you know, has a responsibility to kind of um, have a role in, in dismantling things. So don't go away. Go. All right, back here with Juwan and Christopher talking about the very interesting blending of uh, classical music and hip hop uh, in your work here. All right, so, but I wanted to go back because Christopher, you're saying that you grew up kind of like in a white neighborhood, which makes me ask you how that's shaped you because, you know, if your work is around hip hop and being a person of color in a place that maybe sees you as a perpetual other, as Juan, you might kind of see yourself, I don't know, you know, when you moved over to the States, how does that inform your music when we talk about, um, you know, racism in, in 
in in music and because orchestra music is kind of a form of well, I guess how we're going to go into that whole complicated narrative about you know how is classical music white music you know this whole kind of questioning of how we label who what type of music we're allowed to to do um can we speak a little bit about your ideas of racism in music both of you sure. so yeah. so in, in in my area i mean uh i i, I feel as though i i was i was very lucky because I mean, this, this might, I don't know if this will derail anything, but I didn't really have any problems <laughs> when I was uh, growing up in, in my area. I can maybe say, I can remember maybe two or three points of contention, but nothing where I felt as though I was such an other. Uh, I mean, I went to like four proms, so. <laughs> uh, so I was doing okay socially. Um, like, did you date white? people or yeah Asians yeah or yeah I mean, I mean the majority of the majority of my relationships have all been white <laughs> i've had one black girlfriend um, and, and your parents are okay with that i just like ask you know they have they ha they're fine <laughs> they're, they're, i mean at, at first they they were a little perplexed but my argument w was well i mean i am living in an all-white area so what am i supposed to do you know right right <laughs> Yeah, but there's so many of them. You can't yeah, fucking avoid you know, I mean, it, right? You can't like you know import somebody from you know from like you know from New York just to Suffolk County. I mean that's that's yeah. silly. I mean that's so. that's why his history is so important, right? I mean, going back to my documentary is why did my um, grandparents and their all their siblings kind of secretly date white people because that's what they had around there. But why did they yeah. not date black people? It was the racial structure that informed them that they weren't supposed to. So you know, yeah. history really has a big role to play in how we kind of address things going forward. Juwan, yeah. when you first moved to the States, did you? I mean, okay, I'm sorry to dig into both of your private lives, but I kind of want to. Like, did you date? white people or like, <laughs> I'm I sorry. It's, it's kind of hard to avoid white people in America, right? Black girls too. I just I just didn't I try not to date Asian girls because you know I used to date them in Korea. I was like okay well why why eat kimchi if I can have hamburger? Like, you know, <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> I hear people who crave kimchi uh, when they're in the states because they don't anyway, have it. Uh, okay, well, I, the thing is, like, I've always felt. I think that I'm an outlier in some sense because I feel like when I was in Korea, I felt I was outside. I always tell this story to people. Like, there was, I think, I forgot whether this was an actual experiment or I read it in a Reader's Digestive type of uh, little magazine article, or whatever. I'm not sure. But there is this um, experiment about pictures, showing pictures to uh, different population. Like the picture is group of fish and then one fish is outside, right? So mm -hmm. apparently the sociologist showed it to an Asian, Asian, pe Asian people. And they're like, oh my God, that one fish is horrible. It's not conforming to the mm -hmm. you know, group. Yeah. Terrible, terrible fish. And then they showed the same picture to Americans. They were like, oh my God, that's that's the pioneer. That's that's Trailblazer. the fish. That's, fish that's, you know, yeah. that's gonna change everything. I always felt like that fish. When Wait, I was which one? The terrible fish or the one who carved it's his the own same path? Fish. That's the thing. That's the same <laughs> fish. It's the same picture. Two different populations would react differently, but yeah. I was always outside. Right. I was always that guy that's right. like doing stuff. 
I wasn't quite edge lord or contrarian, but I had a unique idea of the world. And I always feel felt like I was kind of alone in that way. Kind of my approach to music in general, because I would look at it as anything as either it's pieces of technology that I can extract from, and they are the generally technology is based in the historical sort of cultural milieu, but they, the cultural things are always the things that I want to get out of because I feel like that's, that changes everywhere depending on the circumstances and it is based on habit. It's not the essence of what, what triggers change. And I was always interested in change. So when I came here, I felt that, you know, America at best could be that, but obviously people have different kind of, uh, you know, the realities that they've been living with. I just wasn't paying too much attention and I, I don't have too many friends, not that I'm a loner, I have, I have enough friends. I just think that my time always has been about making the changes as opposed to try to, you know, fight the structure. Because for me, it's, things are always changing anyways. People are pushing different sort of, you know, uh, goalposts, right? Okay, well yeah. here, the, the only thing that, you know, mattered was universal suffrage of women and their minorities. They need to have um, uh, voting rights and such, right? right so, and then, right. and then it becomes something else because of, so the world is actually getting better in some sense. In some sense. In some sense. There's now, I think what we have in, in this age, the problem is actually Specifically, I'm, I'm talking about American because I think that out there, there are other places that are trying to catch up with America. But here, the success was so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. We have hit the uh, sort of repetition point. Mm -hmm. So it's in a way, it's, it, we're in, a, in an age of decadence in that, that everything just keeps repeating. Think about the, the movie that just made most amount of money and that what they're developing. They're all rehashing certain material yeah, the and template. they're changing, changing, you know, faces. And that's, that's yeah, the, yeah. Cause it know, works sometimes, right? Yes. But actually it shows the lack of new ideas. Yes. And I'm always interested in how to break that cycle. Right? right. So, so the process that we actually rely on, we call it meta sampling. Okay. That means that you actually sample rationales, much like uh, producers, hip hop producers sample the actual records and then by cutting them either small or manipulating them into different things and then they're building an entirely new original piece, but you can actually sample rationale. How does that work? In my case, I learned tons of classical techniques and then my strategy in, in the beginning of trying to do this hip hop orchestra uh, endeavor was to only use classical techniques to recreate hip-hop music. What happens then? A sort of like total failure happens. What does that mean? That means that if you're trying to go use something completely foreign to approximate something that you have no idea about, you end up somewhere else. And I used, I like to use these like two instances in the Columbus, like the journey, journey of Columbus, right? So Columbus thought that he was going to India, but then he wasn't at India, right? Mm -hmm. 
And then not only that, when the, the natives, the uh, American Indians that came out to see these people, they didn't have a frame of a large ship that have many people uh, that, are, that are able to house many people and then like to, the, to, the, to do the voyage. Instead, they had like many, many sh small ships to mm, come okay. to either battle or whatever. Right. So they actually couldn't see the sh ship at all. So this, these are two different things that actually highlights our process. Meta sampling, it requires for you, you to have an expertise or understanding of something that you're really good at. Mm -hmm. And then you go into a, uh, a field or sphere that you're not, you have no idea about. Right. And then you approximate them. And by doing so, you reframe elements of your own thing and you trigger change that way. And then mm -hmm. once that I had the Eureka moment, not only did I start building the music this way, it's been about 12 years yeah. formally between us, Chris, Chris and I, mm. but also I start seeing this pattern everywhere. Mm. For instance, like Henry Ford, how he came up with the, uh, you know, uh, assembly line was to actually encounter butcher shop that he saw one person was doing one job. And then he, he met that sample, that idea to actually create this assembly line triggering this sort of like mass production line. And Darwin uh, had to have um, Charles Lyell's book, uh, Principle of Geology, that Charles Lyell thought that the, uh, the changes in the geology happens super slow. And Darwin took that idea saying that, okay, species would actually develop this slow. And then he actually, it actually helped him complete that theory of evolution. And then obviously this happens all the time now in the gastronomy. David Chang, interesting Korean American uh, chef. He learned art cuisine. He, he, he learned from David Blues. Um, and then he started incorporating that to create this weird Asian style stuff. Okay, but I'm glad you brought up food. Can I just interject here with that same going on with your ideas of metaphors is, I remember in one of my daughter's classes back when they, you know, they're asking about multiculturalism and would you consider it something like a tossed salad or a, a form of stew? Because when you put different ingredients in, the difference is tossed salad is they still have their own parts, like you said, you're breaking down those little ships, right? And they're still pure in its own small form. But in a stew, you're kind of integrating where you've really kind of dissolved it into something else. It turns into something else. Correct. So how would you feel about your music? How do you address like how much, how small can you make those orchestral sounds? And, and, and how do you, so I'm applying this metaphor to your work and, and is the hip hop like the spice or is the hip hop also these small little spheres that kind of go and not blend, but work with these orchestral sounds? Yeah, so there's an old idea, an American idea, e pluribus unum, that out of many, one, right? So ideally, America wants to do, be that way, but it's very hard for them because in, in the beginning of development of jazz and to an extent, largely development of hip hop, it's always the same narrative, okay? It's jungle music, hot music, oh my God, this is gonna ruin the society. <laughs> and, then, and then later on, they're like, oh my God, jazz is the most amazing American art music. Now hip hop is, you know, walking that path. Mm -hmm. So America actually has that capacity. And a lot of that kind of invention happened in African-American mm -hmm. culture because they had no choice, right? It's like, 
you take away their language, you, you give them like total, like no freedom. They have to do something to like get over like hurt and all this stuff. And there's a, a lot of ingenious things happen because if you apply a lot of pressure, they either die or they become better. So it transforms, better, it transcends so, into something else. Right. So method sampling is distilling, distillation of that idea of pressure and uh, collecting the technology. I, I think of it as, I look at every, everything as pieces of technology and then humans that kind of practice that in, in their vein of culture and then specific look. And they sort of, I don't wanna say worship it, but there's a, there's a certain religiosity in culture. And I don't like that. I wanna get rid of that whole other layer and I want the bone. You don't want the cadaver. Like we don't want to work with the, you know, actual cadaver, but we can work with the bones. And so what's the bone? The what is the, the bone? bone? Is the methods. What does that mean? That means that if I'm writing the music, I am choosing certain techniques that I think that it's going to be compatible with hip hop. And by injecting it, what happens is not necessarily I'm making classical and hip hop. I'm making something completely new. So case in point, we had two instances. For instance, one was an older, like super old, like 75 and up white guy, right? Like using a walker. This is a story that I've heard from my, uh, our former resident MC. And he said, oh my gosh, we're gonna give this guy a heart attack. And then the gentleman really enjoyed it. And then when, when he said, okay, raise your hand. And then he was doing all this stuff of following it. And then afterwards he came up to the MC and said, hey, you know, you guys did a great job. The scatting that you did, scatting as in like jazz vocal improv. Okay. So in his mind, it wasn't hip hop, it wasn't classical, it was like scatting, right? So it's totally not correct. So going back to the idea of these people that don't have any idea of gigantic ship, mm -hmm. they don't see it, but they're only seeing it in their own frame, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the second example would be when we went to Colum uh, like Colorado, there was a couple, I think in their 50s, yeah. and then they said, came up to us like, this is the greatest rock opera ever. I was like, rock opera? That is <laughs> it's not, not rock. And then he said, you know what? Actually, it's more like when I, when I first saw Whalers, the reggae band, it was like this. I was like, this is not the case at all. It doesn't sound like that at all, right? <laughs> that was their entry. Correct. So their frame could not comprehend what we were doing. Yeah. So they actually went back to whatever that they knew. So what right. we do is, it's, you're right, we're destroying whatever the cultural bias that yeah. they, people have. Yeah. So it's it's kind of jarring for them. But yeah, wait, no, that I love that. Wait, we need to take a, one more quick break. Um, and I want to, um, I want you to be able to have, to explain some of your music specifically in our last part. But uh, people who are just tuning in, I'm talking to Juwan and Christopher here about hip hop orchestra. And now we're just really kind of getting into the nitty gritties of your process in, in, in forming this music. So uh, don't go away. We have a lot more to talk about. Continuing a really interesting conversation around music, around what hip hop orchestra is, I've got here Juwan Kim and Christopher. Um, so I wanted to 
you know, Juwan, before the break, we were talking about framing because based on people's perspective or lack thereof, they are informed by obviously their limited view. And from a feminist perspective, I just have to bring in this because a lot of feminist studies is recognizing partial perspective, recognizing that you only have a limited viewpoint. And, and by recognizing that, that's how you embrace the kind of like, you know, the, the lack of perspective is part of the perspective, what I'm trying to say is. And, and we don't talk about framing enough because I think um, recognizing what's outside of the frame is more important, I think, because like, what are we, what are, what are we not seeing? You know, what are the silent things that are not being framed in your music, for example, what's left out or what's left out of the mainstream media and why we're having this conversation right now about your music? Why are these kind of pockets of places where it's not ever, is it ever going to be considered mainstream and do you want it to be? And how do you kind of voice um, your music and what, you know, does it have to fit under a category? And, and how are you kind of working against these ideas of, of, categories. Can you both speak a little bit to that? Yeah, well, um, I think instead of us like toothing our horn and how inventive and awesome we are about our music, I mean, I'm going to talk about our music for sure, because we're going to talk about specific pieces. Yes. But I think that the one thing that I can bring you as an excellent example would be Cirque du Soleil, right? It's mm -hmm. the circus, when it began, it's a circus. It began as a circus without animals. And everybody thought that what the hell are you doing? This is stupid. What do you do? What do you mean? There's no elephants. Like, what do you mean? You're going to have little narratives. It's going to be all connected. What they're supposed to mean? Like, why does it have to be so expensive? Blah, blah, blah. Now what they have done is to actually create a new market. Right. And then they yeah. have in some ways sort of taken all the, you know, uh, market shares of the other performing arts products like ballet and like other things. Now Cirque du Soleil is its own sort of thing. In the similar way, PayPal, when it first started, it started as a company that wanted to create cryptocurrency, yeah. but then they were specifically not to, they were trying not to compete with Visa and other payment yeah. processing companies because they thought that, okay, if we do that, we're going to get destroyed. So we're going to go to somewhere else, do our unique, you know, niche thing. And once they got big enough, now they're competing with Visa, right? So I think... I think that's exactly what we're doing. So by us doing this specific thing, and I mean, I could comfortably say, I mean, there are some other so-called quote hip hop orchestra unquote, but then if you, if you listen to them, there's one that sounds like Big Band, there's one that sounds like the person didn't really know anything about, you know, orchestral writing, or it's just having backbeat and then have a violin and that calling it hip hop orchestra. So we are in a sense, very unique and very rigorous in that sense, because we actually wanted to do something different because I don't think that people have an idea when they begin like, okay, I wanna, it's either they, are, they get absorbed by the pop hip hop genre or they get absorbed by classical. We wanted to yeah. do neither. Okay, so like on Spotify, is it categorized under hip hop or classical music? And how do you blend the two spaces when you're in between spaces? I think we are not either thing. I think, I think what, what's really hard for people to understand, it, it is a performing arts product. So in other words, it is more like classical music in a sense that you go to the theater and then you watch this, as opposed to in a club. Although you could do it, but I think the product is 
inherently geared towards that demographic more so. But I feel like once we actually bleed over, like, I mean, again, I don't like Hamilton, not, not that I don't <laughs> respect it, but I think that it's, it's just like musical product. I just don't like musical. I, I always told people that, you know, there are three things I don't get uh, in America, which are football, racism, and musicals, right? Yeah, so I just, okay, I wait, whole- okay. You don't like musicals, but Christopher, you grew up kind of <laughs> in musical theater. Yeah. So how does that work? We, we agree to disagree. Uh, you know. well, so, I'm you not know, that and, American. And then yeah. also, you know, that's also where some of my perspective kind of bleeds in. Um, so when we were initially doing, when we first started doing this, or rather when Juwan start, first started doing this, a lot of the songs were like, you know, seven to 10 minutes long. <laughs> um, they were, it was very, very long. And, um, and then, you know, we added a second set, so it was even longer. Um, and, you know, people were like leaving the show and I was like, well, why are they leaving? This is amazing. And I'm like, well, yes, it is. But, you know, there's a reason why, you know, songs on the radio are, you know, four to five minutes. You know, it has to do with advertising and then tension span. So mm-hmm. you know, now attention span gets longer when you are in a performing art type thing because you have that suspension of disbelief or, uh, or suspension of, of belief. But, you know, so, you know, we, sh- we shortened it a little bit and kind of tightened some things up to kind of get to the point a little quicker. And, you know, um, so, you know, so, so my, my background of, of, of musicals and pop music kind of come into play, came into play um, mainly around the production of everything. Um, just to make things a little bit more palatable to audiences that are not likely to check out something that goes on for so long. So Um, give us an example of like one of your songs that kind of did this. All right, so I think- (laughs) still close the window because there's- Yeah, there's an alarm going on. But um, I think think we're gonna give you three songs that are deconstructions of of the uh, famous uh, classical pieces that are done by Bach. Mozart and Beethoven, and great. You will hear these pieces, and then you will hear the elements of it, and then I will, as if you know, uh, hip hop producers actually kind of changing it. I will change it in my own way, and there is there is, but then at the same time, I'm using all the classical techniques as like, in for instance, Beethoven on struggle. I sample bunch of different pieces from Beethoven. Like there's a direct quote from Ode to Joy at the very end. And then the piece is generally built around the you know, uh, Coriolan uh, overture. And in the middle of it, you will hear uh, Fugata, which is an exposition of Fugue. Fugue is a contrapuntal writing sort of style. I don't want to call it form because some people don't believe that Fugues have forms. Yeah. And that is very hard to do because it is very formal writing. And, you know, there's, there's a technical triple invertible counterpoint. Invertible counterpoint is when two melodies are on top of each other can swap them, right? And you do it with three melodies. That's why it's called triple invertible counterpoint. So I do that and then you can identify ABC melodies that are swapping each other. And now if I were to say, any hip hop producers were to do that, uh, you would have to kind of question like, why are they doing it? Is this actually hip hop at that point? And conversely, you were, you were saying that any sort of classical people really need to have, let's say 
they're saying, I need to have a drum. I need to have MC doing this, this, this way. The other person will question you like, why? Why, this is classical music. Why do you have to have this, you know, hip hop elements? It's because that, you know, it's funny. Like I, it kind of shows my uh, sort of tendency that I explained to you about how I am. Like I was always like outsider. Outside, yeah. I wanted to get out of this like oppressive classical sort of aesthetic that mm. they believe that they're doing this to push the music language of music forward, but no one understands because these people thought that, you know, uh, in the second Vienna school, which was like not even 1960s, a long time ago, they thought that after their revolutionary process, all the pop music will be converted into this crazy atonal music. So imagine Britney Spears singing in atonal melodies. That did not happen. This whole revolution failed, just like yet. Marx. Hasn't Marx. happened yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> Marx thought that, or all these Leninist types thought that, you know, America is the, the place that's going to the real, that's going to be the real revolution happening. No, everybody was happy eating McDonald's. No one's gonna do this crazy revolution, okay? So I thought, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna make something that works now. I'm gonna try to make something that works now, but I'm gonna also use all the techniques to uh, make it one way. And then what happens when you do that? Because that's, because I'm explaining how I did it, right? So how I do it in what context we call it generally reframing. And this is a very important concept for us in terms of doing the method assembly. Because without me reframing, just like you said, it becomes a salad. You know, there's a little component of hip hop right here, dance around with the classical component, like a salad. But, you know, salad is great, but, you know, I, I would like to have a diversity in different kinds of cuisines, right? So, yeah, I think that's that. Yeah, so but so so you had the classical components, and then Christopher, how do you bring in the lyrics? Do you work with the music in this, what's already there, or um, sure. you know so, how does so, so I, I work with the MCs um, in the studio in terms of uh, just pr primarily on their delivery, um, uh, and because uh, I, I don't I don't write any any of the lyrics um, now with our our new MC that we onboarded um, a few months ago, um, Juwan and I. Uh, did have sessions where we would um, kind of just make sure some of the subject the subject matter all made sense and it was cohesive. Um, but aside from that, you know, we're pretty hands off. On Who decides on the the subject matter? So Juwan decides the subject matter. So the general theme of of, of the of the song. Okay. And the MC, you know, writes writes based on that theme. Okay. And then um, when we're doing any of the recordings and or the performances, I critique. The, the whole overall picture of everything. Okay. Um, what I think works, what doesn't necessarily work. And it's generally mainly con con, um, concerning um, the MC's uh, delivery. Or, so yeah, but, go but back to the subject matter, like um, Juan, you were saying that you address things that are here and now, like what are some issues that you both as, a, you know, as composers and creators want to address in this world we live in right now? What are some major themes that you cover in your music? Well, the subject matter is deliberately sort of abstract and or something that people can embody themselves easy because, you know, as you can hear like this, the whole process of a pro I, I hate to say this, but as a product of this whole thing, like ensemble McNeil, which hip hop orchestra experience coming together, it's not just me 
Juwan Kim, the composer that's trying to be like weird, doing its own thing. I need an MC that is authentic and as really in, rooted in hip hop. And I need somebody like Chris that's overseeing as a producer to critique, okay, here is way too much Juwan. Why does it have to be 25 minutes? Stop it. No one wants to hear this in the club, right? <laughs> I, need, I need that. We need all these three elements coming together. So how do I, as, as a creator to actually inspire the MC to write his own truth, right? Because he has to really embody the topic. Yeah. And in doing so, I try to be as vague as possible. And I, I just say that, hey, this is what that the general theme is about. But tell me what you think about that. Tell mm, me but how does it speak to that person? Correct. Right. Yeah. And then he actually creates it. He actually fills in the gap. Okay. Right. So, okay. So it's a real collaborative process. Correct. Yeah. So in our short time left, can you um, speak? You mentioned the first song, the Beethoven. Um, what are the other couple of songs that you wanted to share? Um, in this I think that it will be obvious and interesting for our listeners to listen to the three deconstructions that we did on uh, Bach, Mozart, and Beethoven. So we'll send you those tracks. And then it will be so obvious because these are the tracks that people kind of know as it's in the psyche. You don't have to be the classical connoisseur to know. And then you also hear, oh, they change it this way. And then the three, three pieces also thematically connected. So then the Mozart pieces is number one, Beethoven is number two, and then Bach is number three. And then it comes together at the very end, it connects thematically. So you'll be in, you will find it interesting. That is, no, it's fascinating. Um, I have one quick more question. It's just that, do you feel like classical music is white music, the way it's been standardized? And how do we kind of like reinterpret that kind of music? It's like ballet. There's always this questioning of like, why is classical ballet a Western notion? Where in many cultures, we've always still had ballet, but why is it, you know, kind of, why, why do we infuse this concept and understanding of things because of this whole Eurocentric way of, um, you know, understanding the standard. All right, so I want to ask, actually ask you because you said that in every culture there's a ballet. What does that mean? Does that mean that there's a traditional dancing? Because I think that only like Western cultures have ballet, like ballet as like a dance form, right? You mean well, like? No, it, but you have it being practiced for for many many years in in China and you know. Yeah, in, I mean, in, well, in, I mean that's that's basically you know China lost the war, right? So well, okay, so the Russian influences, okay, source back. I mean, you cannot, you cannot say, I mean, this is, this is a problem that I have, like people who are trying to cancel somebody who's like Lincoln is horrible because he was a racist, right? This is just a crazy stuff. Right. So I, I'm, I'm really exactly. focused on this. This goes all back to the reason that we're calling this method as method sampling, yeah. not hybridization, because hybridization yeah. in post-colonial theory and all the other social, social theories, there's a taintedness of all this terms. I wanted to get out of it. Why? By, by not doing that, it will go into a silo and crazy direction that I don't, I'm not interested in. Because the problem now is that both left and right are, is, is that they don't have new ideas. Obviously, right wing types, they always try to go back. 1950s was great period. What are you talking about to who? Like to you? Or maybe. But then also, if, if you're truly conservative, are you going to be okay with that crazy high tax rate? You're not going to like that at all. And then yeah. the left types always say that the world is sexist and racist. Basically, that's the argument, right? That this is a terrible world because it's sexist, racist. Why now there's a trans right? That's the same yeah. exact vision. 
And I hate those visions because these are these visions suck. They suck bag of <laughs> penises. Okay. So okay. <laughs> all right. Before you say anything that can't go out on air, um, in our last minute, um, can you both just give a little shout out to um why music matters? Why why these are spaces to deconstruct? And you only have a minute, so please. Okay. So I'm gonna finish my thought, and that will probably say so by focusing on techniques and looking at it as pieces of technology and totally isolating them from the culture, we can actually build new culture because the struggle that we have now is struggle for universality, not struggle for unique differences. Mm. That's okay, why we do matter. Okay, great, great. Christopher, final words. Um, I don't really have any final words uh, other than um, probably, um, you know, if people, if people are listening, if, if they're creating something, you know, now, I think they should, you know, a person should um, just do the best they can and find their audience um, and just kind of keep pushing forward. Yeah. And, and I like that because it's a lingering thought. You want to have people contemplating. How can people find your music? What is your website? MickNavowich.com, uh, M as in Mary, I, K as in Kite, N as in Nancy, A, W, O, O, J.com. And did you know that it's my name spelled backwards? Yes. That's and that's just <laughs> everything about you is like looking at things from a different way, perspective and flipping things, reframing, rethinking and resituating the narrative. That is both Juan and Christopher here on K2H. Thank you so much for this amazing conversation. Good luck Thank with your you other very music. very much. Take care.